welcome to the eighth episode of the DOS Game Club podcast already. Um, now we're here to talk about August's game, Quest for Glory. Uh, we're running a little bit behind on things. But um, I'm not alone by any stretch, because uh, I think this is the largest group we've had so far. Um, of course, my, my trusty co-host Florian is here. Hey. But also, uh, there is Philip again. Hi there. And Michael. Hey. And Otvar. Hello. And also newly joining us is Richard. Hello. So... It's very exciting, and I hope this will uh, will not be too uh, chaotic, but we'll we'll see what happens. So uh, yeah, we're gonna discuss uh, Quest for Glory. There we go. thinking who actually uh suggested we play this game i know who it was <laughs> i thought it was you uh, yeah <laughs> yes, it, it was you of course <laughs> was it me okay it totally was hmm that's a bit awkward then <laughs> because uh i usually i start with asking the person who uh who suggested the game so like uh that's a neat intro so just tell me something why you picked it but okay wait let let, let me do this Hmm. So, Martin, yes. what's the reason? Why did you choose this game? Well, Florian, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, I picked this game because I uh, I played it uh, when I was a child. And actually, um, I played both the, the, the EGA version, which is uh, called uh, Heroes Quest, and I played the VGA version, version which is called uh, Quest for Glory. But at the time, I had no idea these were actually the same game uh, because I was not very good at English and I couldn't read all the text and understand it. So, And they look massively different and they play different as well. So it took me quite a while to figure out that these were actually one and the same game. Um, but nonetheless, even though I didn't understand much of it, I still had a very good time. And I just liked the walking around in the world and, and trying to do various things, so I have very uh, fond memories of, of what, basically walking around achieving nothing. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was going to be my next question. Um, did, <laughs> yeah. you, did you actually manage to beat the game without understanding English very well? No, no, I didn't. No, not at first anyway. It was, uh, I, I, I tried playing the game several times over many years, And eventually I got the hang of it, and then I really started to enjoy it. And then that's also when I noticed that these were actually the same game. Uh, but at first, no. But I played lots of games as a young child without making any real progress whatsoever. And I still had a good time. Of so That's the way yeah. of children playing games. Yeah, that's the way these things go. So, uh, so yeah, that's why I thought 
it would be cool to uh, to play this game with the club. And to be honest, I can't wait to hear what you guys thought of it. And especially, um, I'm keen on on hearing if you played this game before. And uh, if you haven't, then then I'm even more uh, interested in in hearing well what you thought of it because uh, this game it's quite something. It's uh, it's maybe not the um, most accessible game ever, but I don't know. I think there's a lot to it. Well, as a kid, I played tons of Sierra games. For example, Space Quest and King's Quest. But, like you said, without knowing the English language too well, I did not manage to go very far. And those games especially did not have the open world character Hero's Quest had. So, I got stuck pretty fast. Hero's Quest I did not play as a kid, but now... Later on, I played it for the show, and I had a blast. Really? Did you? Yes. I really loved it. I also streamed it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I and remember. several people joined the stream and were in like, oh, do this, do that. Oh, that's exciting. And I was like, why do people enjoy those old games as much as I do? That's awesome. It is awesome. That's actually one of the, the highlights of this whole Dusk Club thing to me, because uh, it's... Uh, I've been enjoying this game for years, but to to find out that other people enjoy them as well, that's really cool. You're not alone. <laughs> so, um, Richard, did, did you play the game uh, before now? I did, yeah. The first, I first played Quest of the Glory 2 when that originally came out. Oh, so you started was, with I, the second one? Yeah, that's right. So I, I huh. think at the time I kind of wondered where the first one was because it had the name change. Yeah. I think I think this caused a lot of confusion with a lot of people actually. Yes, we got messages about that on Twitter too, um on our interview announcement uh, tweet and apparently everybody got confused by that back in the day of course. Yeah, because uh, maybe we should do a quick recap. Um what happened was that initially they wanted to call the game Heroes Quest uh because that was in line with all the other quest games that was Sierra was putting out. They had a King's Quest and Space Quest and Police Quest. So they thought, yeah, Heroes Quest, that would be a good fit. Uh, but then it turned out that, that Milton Bradley already had a yeah a, a license or what, what's this called? A copyright something? Trademark, maybe? Uh, yeah, trademark. They had a, a claim on this name anyway. And they uh, had plans to release a video game under this name. So that caused trouble, and and yeah, they couldn't come to a deal. So eventually, the game, the name of the game, had to be changed. Uh, so they changed it for the second game uh, to Quest for Glory, but yeah, uh, it was a bit pre-internet and pre. Well, it, I think it was hard to to get this message across to all the gamers that the name of the series had changed. I think. Um, do I remember the interview correctly? That they were not even allowed to um, tell people. That it was, in fact, the same game? Yeah, it was part of the deal that they could not uh, ship the game with a tiny text saying Quest for Glory and then in a huge font previously known as Heroes Quest. So, yeah, this made it more difficult even. So, yeah, I I think this caused massive confusion and even up until this day. Um, So, but you actually started with the second game because of all this, uh, Richard. 
Yeah, well, I think that came, well, that came out just after I got a PC. I think it's probably one of the earliest PC DOS games I played. Right. It was the late eighties, I think. Yeah, it'd be about right. So I was probably playing yeah. it. Yeah, I might have been in CGA back then. I keep it running that. Cool. But. Yeah, that's that's great. I think the game it supports uh, both CGA and EGA. So uh, yeah, I think it it plays even on on pretty old computers, even at the time. Old computers at the time. Um, but did you play the first game as well? Or, or so yeah, I think I think years later I finally I mean I, I played the second one to death, playing all three characters and all of that, and then oh that's great. Like, maybe about the maybe about the mid nineties I finally got around to playing the first one again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you did play it before, and and you also pretty in depth. Uh, what I hear from trying out all the three characters and everything. Yeah, there's quite a surprising amount of variation. I mean, it's all sections of the game you didn't see at all. If you're a whole wizard's test, I remember, in the second game. Hmm, yeah. I could probably only ever play it. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything similar in the first game. I only played it, I played it as a fighter this time. Well, there is the, the, the wizard house in the first game. Uh, he has the... the um... The magic game that he wants to play. So that was that with that Erasmus and Fenris. Yeah. So yeah, I never, I never actually saw that at all playing as a fighter. Huh. And I, I think, um, yeah, I think that section is actually completely optional, uh, and and also exclusive to magic users because if you can't use magic, then that whole part of the game is almost not there. You can't you can't really reach it. Uh, so yeah, the, there's a certain replayability to this game that's not really typical for uh for Sierra games. So that's that's quite unique actually. So I I suppose uh no one else played it before or did anyone? Uh I was looking at the um some screenshots and I because I, I, I played a few of the Quest for Glory games, but uh, looking at the um, the screenshots and, and certainly playing through it, I I never played the first one before. <clears throat> I think I tried um Maybe number two, but certainly number three and four. Uh, as a as a as a kid, and uh, just like you, I didn't get very far, but I I really liked the sort of mix of adventure and RPG. And um, uh, I thought I always thought that I always play, uh, that I played the first one, but um, yeah, I didn't. I couldn't remember it. But then I did play the EGA version, so maybe I'm just um, misremembering uh, because I. The VJ version looks very different. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why I never... Well, I, I didn't immediately figure out that these were the same games because they look so different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they, um, they play different as well. Yeah, I was kind of uh, worried about playing the EJ version, not because of the graphics, but because of the uh, text parsing. Because my memories of that is Space Quest when I, I, don't mm. know, I must have been like 10 or something, and or maybe younger. My English was not very good, so... You know, I really wanted to play the game because I, I acquired it from from a friend, but um, I just really couldn't do anything because I couldn't <laughs> understand what to what to write. But I still wanted to try it, so I remember like my friend saying, you know, you have to type in get key, and so I did, and I got something, but I had no idea what I've done or you know, <laughs> no way to proceed with that. But um, yeah, so I was wondering if I would um, get sort of flashbacks to the, to that. Um, I mean, the other thing with Space Quest that is, it's an inherent, uh, inherently evil game, <laughs> which kills you in all ways. But um, yeah, at least Quest for Glory is a bit more um, um, uh, sort of friendly in that sense. Yeah, I think all the Sierra games they're known for killing you 
in lots of brutal ways over and over. That's uh, a bit of a trademark of them. Um, but yeah, I think Space Quest also has a lot of weird humor that also kills you a lot. And Quest for Glory is maybe a little bit more fair and a little bit more serious, even though it's it got lots of jokes and, and humor in it. But yeah, you can survive maybe. Although then again, if you walk out of the town, there's loads of monsters coming at you. So Yes, but I think you always know what you're in for and why you're dying. In contrast to mm. a game I like, and I know that many people hate it, is Police Quest. And there, if you don't follow the standard procedure, you should have read the manual, you just explode. <laughs> like, oh, you didn't walk around the car, you get a flat tire, game over. And it's yeah. all over the place. And this game actually tells you, oh, you feel tired, you run around. <laughs> Oh, you really feel tired, your legs are hurting. You continue, then you die. Yeah. I have the feeling this game is really pointing to you. Oh, don't do that. You really shouldn't. Oh, you really shouldn't. Oh, now you're dead. Yeah. Yeah, police quest. <laughs> I think you had to check the tires every time you got yes. you got into the car. Yes. And if you forgot it once, then immediately you were dead. Like, oh, no, didn't check the tire. Boom. Right. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah. That's like a game design where they're abusing their powers. <laughs> like, oh, I'm gonna, if you forget this once. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, uh, maybe it was their first game. It's like the, you're, you're, you're thrilled with all the power you have, so you just misuse it yeah. in any way. I think the idea was more like, oh, let's l really put proper police procedure into yeah. the game, which then is not so much fun anymore, I guess. I think in the case of Police Quest, it was actually designed by a policeman. Yes. Uh, so I think he wanted to put all his formal training into the game, which, yeah, is really a bit odd, maybe. Especially if you're only nine years old and you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, Michael and, and Florian, you haven't said, uh, did you, did you both, was, was the game new for you? I think it was maybe. The game itself was completely new to me. I mean, I, I had heard the name a few times uh, over the years, of course, but I never looked at any screenshots or anything. And so I tried it for the first time for our, uh, DOS Game Club month. That's cool. And, and is that the same for you, Michael? Yeah, yeah, same. Um, I think actually this is probably the only the second or third time I've played a game of that genre, <coughs> even. Um, yeah, first time for me. So. You mean uh, the first time you played an adventure? Well, not the first, but maybe only the... Yeah, yeah, yeah like a, a kind of point-and-click right. um, adventure game. Um, oh. And it was the first Sierra game. I mean, the first, when people say Sierra game, it sounds like they mean this kind of thing. It was the first game like that. Hmm. Uh, that I played by Sierra as well. Yeah, yeah, they're a bit of a their their own their own kind almost of adventure game. They've got their own format, I, I suppose it, you can call it. Um, and you played the VGA version, if I if I remember correctly, uh, uh, Michael. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I think it's really beautiful, actually. Like even yeah, even by modern standards, um, the art is is really impressive and like i enjoyed just kind of drinking that in uh, while i was playing it I'd, i have to say the ega version didn't <coughs> look quite so appealing to me yeah uh, it's yeah. it's a bit uh yeah they've got a very limited 
color palette. Yeah. But then they decided, despite that, we're still only going to pick three of the colors and use only those. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's not true. That's doing them unjustice. Yeah. I mean, they they make use of all the colors. Come yeah, on, but guys. if you, yeah, yeah, I think they did a really good job. Like given given what they had at the time, it, it's it's great. I just mean. From like a modern perspective, the the VGA right, yeah. version looks. Yeah, I think, for example, uh, Monkey Island uh, used the same color palette, and it's they are making a bit more out of it. I think. Yeah, I was. Oh, so, but I have to say, I really enjoyed the EGA version. I went for that one hmm. for two reasons. Oh, it looks great! Don't don't misunderstand oh, yeah. me. It looks great. For, yes. on, on one hand, they did really a good job of like making the forest really dark and foresty with all the dithering and stuff they did. I really enjoyed the EGA stuff. And also, I mean, the other big difference of those two versions is the interface. Mm. On one, you type your commands with the parser, and on the other game, you have point and click. And as I had a book when I was young, and I bought this book again, and this is like a whole story in itself, but I've got it again, which is a um, like a walkthrough for all kind of Sierra games. And I've read the solution for this game numerous times when I was young. And I imagined, oh, how will this game be? And now I finally have it and went through the game with this uh, book, basically. So you you had a, a, a hint book for the game? Yes. And and for other Sierra games as well? Yes. But, but you didn't actually have the game? Correct. Wow. Because, I mean, <laughs> come on, this book has... Four Larry books, all Police Quest, all King's Quest, all Hero Quest. Yes, Hero Quest 1 and Hero Quest 2, it says on the book. Space Quest 1, 2, 5 and some other Sierra Adventures. Like It's like 30 games solved in this book. It's, uh, let me have a look, like it's 350 pages long. That's That's really, really pre-internet. Yeah, and uh. at reading <laughs> the solution, I imagined how the games would be. Oh, that's amazing. I, I can relate to that. I had programming books before I had a computer. So. <laughs> yes! <laughs> wow. So, um, was the game anything like you thought it would be then? Uh, mm, to be honest, no. Huh? On, yeah, let me explain. On one hand, there are only <laughs> some black and white and not many pictures in the book. And on the other hand, what this game transports is... A form of almost comedy RPG slash adventure game. Because mm. there are so many moments and they're, they're very joyful. Mm. If you compare this game to classical, let's say, fantasy tropes like Lord of the Rings, where everything is usually quite gritty and earnest, this game has so many light-hearted moments, so many fun stuff, so many silly moments and over-the-top moments. Um, and basically that yeah. did not transport very well through that book. Right. Also, the book wasn't written too well, to be honest, but I have nostalgic glasses for it. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think um, this is one of the things we also talked about in the, in the interview uh, we did with, uh, with the Coles, um, that at first they didn't want to uh, go for a comedy game so much. It was more serious in the beginning. Uh, but then because of the, um, the, the, the graphics, they came out a bit cartoony and they also had one of the programmers who was writing in lots of jokes for all the, 
descriptions of everything that you can, you know, look at the tree or, or look at the house. And he was coming up with all these funny things. So the combination of that, I think, led to a more, uh, yeah, a, a more comedy approach to the whole game. And I think, I think that's actually quite unique and quite fun. So I think they were happy with this change in the end. But it was it, indeed most other fantasy stuff is more, much more serious, mostly. So, yeah, that makes the game different, right? So uh, that that was a bit of the first impression stuff. You didn't ask me yet. Um, Florian, what was your first impression? <laughs> well, the first impression is a bit difficult to describe. I mean, I had uh, different uh, expectations of the game because I played uh, many, many old adventure games and I tried the EGA version because I wanted to go with the text parsing thing because for a while I played multi-user dungeons mm. where everything is text-based and... I thought this will probably be great, but uh, to be honest, I didn't really find into the game. Mm. I don't know if that was because of the interface or because of other reasons, by, but for me it was a bit of a slow start and I never really um, think, I, th I think I never really came to the place in the game where it, the fun really starts. Yeah, it's, it's definitely... Uh... It's one of the. It's not the most accessible game, I think, and 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 especially, <clears throat> especially the the text parsing versions, they're actually quite difficult um, because you don't know. Yeah, the game doesn't explain itself very well. Yeah. Um, so I was used to to these uh, multi-user dungeons, as I said, and I think the text parsing in those um, is is a bit more modern, I think, and it worked a bit. It was a bit more forgiving and. Yeah, I think that was basically my expectation was a bit too high, maybe. Hmm. Yeah. So you had a bit of a of a hard time. Yeah, actually, um, I'm not even sure if the if the interface was really the problem. Um, but maybe we can talk about that when we come to the gameplay discussions later. Yeah. Well, may uh, let's see. Michael just said something. He had a power cut. Yeah, I'm back. Hey. hey. Sorry about that. No, no, no. This will be a fun editing session for Martin. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> oh, your power went out. Yeah, there's nothing I can do about that, though. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I have a oh. proper mic stand and everything, but no. Ah, uh, well, I'm glad you're back. <laughs> um, yeah, Florian was just explaining that he had a bit of a hard time getting into the game. Uh, and the game doesn't seem to be very accessible and very... There's no tutorial or... or there's not even a help section, I think, where the game explains itself, is there? Um, yeah. I didn't know. It just starts. The game just starts and then, yeah, that's it. Well, you have you have to f pick a character, right? So you have to you yeah. understand what, what's going to come because you either choose to be a fighter or a thief or a magic user. Hmm. Yeah. So there is there is that build up that, uh, you know, you are, I guess you're not a hero yet, but you want to be a hero. And uh, right. that sets the scene, I think. But I think that's probably where I made the first and um, most uh, and, and worst mistake because I chose a pure magic user. Oh. And I think playing this game for the first time as a magic user only is pretty hard. Hmm. Because I, I didn't I didn't find any ways to get money. And without money, no magic potions. And without magic potions, no practicing magic. And in the end, I just spent uh, running around, uh, waiting until it's night again, sleeping... 
so that I could, could recover my magic and then try again. And it was just painful for me. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's interesting about the game is that the, the, the choices you make at when you make your character, they sort of determine uh, what paths are there available for you in the game. So if you go for one pure class, then that limits your options, I suppose. Uh, while if you make more of a hybrid mixed class, then then you can choose any of the alternative paths that the game uh, offers. So then, yeah, this this uh, how do you say this? There's more. There's more. Yeah, ways to solve the same puzzle. If you are ever gonna play this game, I would highly suggest that you create a character and you spend at the beginning of the game you spend a certain amount of points onto your character with its certain abilities like how good are you at climbing how good you are you at using magic and so on and so forth through the game you grind up those skills you get better by using your skills for example if you climb over a wall or at least if you try your climb skill will get higher and higher but if you have zero at a certain skill, you will never learn it. Right. So my suggestion for anyone who plays this game, give every, basically every skill there is at least one point. Because if you decide, oh, I want to be able to climb, then you can always like grind like crazy and you can build it up. Right. I think that was one of the other mistakes I made because I had exactly a climbing skill of zero and I think a parry skill of zero and <laughs> it didn't work out all that well for me. Yeah, and, and you know, there, you can actually play the game without ever climbing, but if you can climb, then, well, that's that's one of the things you, you can do and that's one of the ways you can solve certain problems yeah right uh, uh, so you're just limiting your own options that's that's really the thing if you go for a pure class that can only do one thing right because you can't learn the things that you can't yeah just what what philip said yeah and i i think um, most of the puzzles that i actually managed to solve uh, would have been super easy if i had a climbing skill of one or more yeah like um, the first one where you have to get the ring for the healer yeah um, and the second one where you meet uh, Henry the Hermit, <laughs> um, they would have been so much easier with, with a climbing skill, I assume. Yeah. But uh, other in my way, I had to first find all the spells before I could do all of those puzzles. Oh, yeah. God. And, yeah. and that, that meant no, no money for me all the time. And, <laughs> oh. Yeah. And you also didn't have any thieving skills. No, of course so, not. Yeah, that's, oh, God. That's, I'm a, that's the easy way to get money in this game. It's just stealing I, I'm some an stuff. Honest, I'm an honest magician. Yeah. I don't steal things. Okay, so the lesson is Honor. don't be an honor, honorable mage because you'll be <laughs> stuck. Yeah, I mean, they could have um, put a label on it like uh, this is uh, hardcore mode or something like that. But <laughs> it, was, it was really... Uh, I, maybe I should have restarted the game as a different character, but... Uh, I was a bit demotivated in the end. Mm. So did you did you follow through? Did you finish it as a as a mage? Uh, no, I didn't. I uh, I quit. Uh, I feel bad. I, I I did a similar thing to you in that I created a a pure magic user, no no extra skills, and I I did think about you know trying to do the all round thing, but I thought no, I'll, I'll do the I'll, I'll solve all the problems with magic, and I'm not going to re retort to you know simple weapons or items. Huh. But um, it is true as um. 
it is annoying that you know you can't train, especially things things like climbing, which shouldn't be a fighter skill. I think that should be a universal skill. Maybe like pickpocket, I you know that, that requires some some special training. But yeah, it was it's, it's just slightly frustrating that you can't climb even though you wanna you know you want you wanna just train a bit and, and get better at it. But um, I do like that they actually have different ways of solving you know all the quests or the required quests in the game, regardless of whether you can. Uh, only do magic or only do fighting or only do thieving because that's you know imagine how much extra work that is mm. um, compared to just having you know the hero be a fighter and that's it yeah totally oh, yeah, totally and this also makes the the game quite <clears throat> unique compared to other adventure games which are mostly quite linear and only have one solution to each puzzle yeah uh and this game is quite different in that aspect and even for for a role playing game i think this is still not not common today I mean, yeah, you can maybe you can sneak or you can shoot your way through certain se- certain sections, but um, usually there are not many options in modern role-playing games, right? Yeah, yes. and, and I mean, uh, Deus Ex is a bit lauded for doing exactly that, but that's also the only example that I can think of from the top of my head. Just just um, one example is that the, the the Wizards game, which is a game only for wizards, <laughs> and you know that obviously means that only maybe one third of, of the players will actually play that game and it's a bit of a silly game but it's still kind of fun and kind of a, a unique thing in, in the game and, and and on the other hand I, I just saw a screenshot while um, looking up some older um, Quest for Glory screenshots and there's a seems to be a mini game where you can throw knives yeah I, that's, I didn't do that that's in the in the Thieves Guild yeah exactly so I, I missed out on that game <laughs> yeah it's a bit it's a bit of the same thing actually with the Thieves Guild that um only if you uh, start the game with a lockpick, then then you can get your way into the Thieves Guild. Um, I think there's one other way, but that that requires uh, some some yeah that requires that you know something beforehand. Uh, because there's this scene in town uh, where two thieves they sneak up on uh, on you in the in the alley, and if you show them the lockpick, then they'll know that you're a thief and they'll won't they won't uh, attack you. And I think the other thing you can do is you can make the the thief sign or something. But you have to know this exists because you have to type in make thief sign. Mm. So there's no way that you'll do this uh, unless you know about it, which is kind of a weird puzzle, really. Um, it's probably in the uh, in the manual, don't you think? I don't. <laughs> That's the way to yeah. to learn yeah, it. Yeah, maybe. So, um, did you manage to beat the game, Richard? I uh, did, yeah, only as a fighter. I think most, most of the, I think I probably got the easy route through as a fighter because most of the oh. puzzles involved breaking doors down, so you just have to have a nice high strength and the like, <laughs> or just fighting your way past. Right. The, 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 there's a bit of throwing involved. I seem to remember, like, the hermit's hut. I think you have yeah. to throw a stone at the door to get him to drop the ladder down or something like that. Ah, right. So you took a bit of the, the brute force approach. Well, very just... much so, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean throw a ladder down? No, you start, no, 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 <laughs> magic to get no, yeah. Well, yeah. I think thieves <laughs> climb up, don't they? Yeah. So you see, Florian, you, you could have picked an easier route, really. Yeah, I guess so. But... Yeah. Um, yeah. The game... Did not uh, warn me, and I think that was normal in the olden days. Yeah, it's and m- maybe if I guess if I had played it back in the day, I would have played this game to death, and years would have passed until I started the new game. I assume. I think yeah, there's some truth to that. That's that's a bit how it is. If you just play this game for a few hours, then 
it's really hard to see what what this game has to offer. It really, yeah, you have to dive in deep, I think. Yeah, you first have to be basically willing to spend hours upon hours into um, basically inspecting the game and, and finding out what you can do and how it works and be willing to start over again until you finally make it through. And yeah, uh, to be honest, I don't have the time for that nowadays anymore. Yeah. And to be honest, I think choosing the magic user is a very good strategy in most of those games. At the beginning, it's usually a little bit harder, but near the end, you really succeed if you are the one mm -hmm. that can use magic. But in this game, there are so many approaches. It's most easy if you go mixed character and more of a challenge, more interesting if you go basically like a pure character. Mm, yeah. So, Michael, uh, what, what class did you pick? Um, I was the, the dishonest magic user. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was, I think I was actually, a th I might've been a magical thief. Um, yeah. Cause I got into the thieves guild and everything. And I, I loved that, uh, that knife throwing game, by the way. Ah, um, so you, you were both <laughs> a magic user and a thief. Yeah. I think predominantly thief. Um, right. but with a little bit of magic for interest. I don't know. I liked the the idea i mean it's the first thing you see in the game right so you're gonna make terrible decisions and i, I just liked <laughs> the idea of um being kind of stealthy and stuff but hmm. uh i did want a little bit of magic um i didn't actually get as much out of the magic as i was expecting to but the thieving i did right um did you manage to, to beat the game no no um i that said i i, I don't know if i've finished playing it so much as just i haven't finished it yet okay um so I'd, yeah. I'd just be curious to see how you'd um, whether you finish it on on the basis of your stealth or whether you have to retort to magic. Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll let you know. I'd, like, I'd, I would like to finish it. Um, I think it's got a lot of appeal. It just takes it takes a lot more time than than I had um, to to really like not just to finish it, but to get kind of the the most out of it. It's one of those games where, as a as a child, I probably wouldn't have been playing it for like several hours every day for maybe a couple of years <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's definitely how i played it <laughs> um but you did do some thievery you said yeah i did i had to get some help in irc um because i didn't really understand and I, th I think this is the like, maybe the difference between me and florian I, i had some help and so it was like having that that kind of hint book um and i managed to get a bit more out of it but I, I wouldn't have discovered the things that I was doing otherwise. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I stole some, some trinket, trinkets or um, some jewels or something from an old lady and I felt terrible. Classy. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and I, I also got into the Thieves Guild and, and did some things there. I had a lockpick, which, yeah, you used the lockpick to break into a bunch of houses. I also tried doing lots of versatile things with it, like poking Antwerps and so on. <laughs> I gotta, um, I gotta say the um, the fact that you can't get into most of the houses in town was was hugely frustrating. Yeah, you know, for someone who someone who's played um, you know Zelda games and and those kind of games where you just you know brutally force your way into everyone's house and steal their <laughs> stuff, you know, not being yeah. able to get in just because you're a magic user. What, what's the But deal with that? How did that become the norm though? That you could yeah. just walk into anyone's house <laughs> and just take anything that's not bolted down? What's up with that? I think it's just a convenient way for the game designers <laughs> to give the player stuff, basically, right? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, kinda, but yeah. 
best part is when they stand right in front of you and you take their stuff and they look at you and they do nothing. Yeah, yeah. well, there's none of that in Quest for Glory. No. It's just, no. Um, right. Um, what character did you pick, Philip? Well, as Michael, I went with a thief base class, but basically at the end... That guy could do everything. I really spent a lot of time in the game grinding. And at the end, basically, all my stats were at 100. So uh, What? Yeah, this is like, I don't know, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger running through the forest, <laughs> beating up <laughs> everyone crazy. while he's like using magic like a pro. I don't know. It's a, like a really weird dude at the end because he just does everything, which... Yeah, it was a little bit weird, but somewhat fun and fulfilling because I think the first few enemies in the game, when you confront them, you have such a hard time. So, and at the end, it's just, oh, a really nasty creature appears. You usually run away from, step, step, step. Now it's dead. <laughs> well, that that never happened to me. Oh, uh, no, no. But there's a huge, I think you're right. There's a huge um, sense of mastery uh, near the end of the game well in in the beginning you're mostly just running away and being scared of everything and and rightly so because everything can actually kill you quite easily but once you grow to a certain level then yeah it's like the hunter becomes the hunted you know just everything flips around and you'll be scaring other creatures in the forest so oh yes that's actually pretty cool I think maybe they should have put a few more encouraging moments near the beginning of the game. Yes. yes. I mean I think I think you can you can kill a goblin if you're very low level even as a magic user but uh, that even that was was pretty hard for me to do. Yeah, but this I mean, is this is 80s game design. Just yeah, you know, of course. <laughs> really really harsh and But talking about all these creatures and random encounters uh, I think they they broke the game most for me actually because um, I wanted to go from point A to point B, and I couldn't get there because on a random forest uh, room, suddenly a cheetor crosses my path and I cannot get away from it. And then I try to run. Uh, but I, 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 you know, you, you've quit the, the fighting screen and you want to run to the left. But for some reason, you would start on the other side of the screen again and you run <laughs> right into the cheetor again. And you do it three times until you realize, oh, maybe I should run into the opposite direction. <laughs> and then you go to the next screen and it comes after you and it catches you because you just miss the two pixels uh, where you could pass between the trees <laughs> on the top. And, oh. I know what you're talking about. So damn well. It's, it's yeah. your... It's totally your fault for going out, out at night. I mean, the cheaters are only out at night, so yeah, you, you don't get any sympathy for me. Uh, in, in my defense, I, I, it was not night when I left the town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a game where you save almost every screen. That's how I play it anyway. It's just, you enter a screen, oh, save, okay, now what can we do? And then hopefully if you don't die, save within a minute later. It's a bit, yeah, it's a bit like that. I mean, I, I kind of like the day-night cycle. They actually lock you out of town if you don't go back in before they before um, dusk, and that's great because it, it teaches you a lesson, right? You have to either uh, get in before it's too late, or you have to just um, make do or find a safe spot to sleep. Mm, yeah, or you or be able to climb, which I wasn't. Yeah, oh, you can climb in. You I can know. totally <laughs> climb over the wall, and then you're in the town again. Yeah, you can do that. Well, if if you can climb, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I think the climbing skill may be one of the most important skill in the whole game. Yeah, and and 
you know, there is a chance for every character to have that skill. I mean, you get you start with lots of extra points that you can distribute how you like. Yes, of course. I just decided not to go with it because I thought, hey, what do I need climbing for? Yeah, what do you need? <laughs> Everything. I'm a magician. I can, I can fly. I can levitate if I want. Yeah. But of course, uh, there's no levitation spell. I think, no, there's not in this one. I think there is one in two or three. Ah, good to know. Yeah, there's one later. Yeah. In two. The thing is, though, when you start, I think, I'm not sure, but I think you start with a random spell. No, I think it's always Zap, isn't it? Yeah, it's always Zap. Oh, it's always Zap, okay. Because, uh, yeah, that, that spell does really nothing. So you you really don't have any way of, uh, you know, surviving in the forest. You can you can zap your dagger and that's it. And then you hit the goblin and then you run mm. away. That's actually a good point you bring on. Because, um, like Richard, he played as a as a fighter. and And you start basically... As a pretty competent fighter in the game, you have your weapon and you have some skills and then you can actually kill someone. Well, if you start and, and for the thief, it's the same. You start with a lockpick and, and you can actually do some thieving. But as a magic user, what do you start with? The zap spell and, and nothing. Just you can't really do any magic. So you, ha you have a dagger and you have um, you can find a place to buy more spells but obviously they're quite expensive yeah so maybe just picking a magic user is even the most difficult way to play the game because you start so uh, low down the ladder yeah i think you certainly need some information about the game before you should play it with an easier class before yeah yeah should have played like richard right <laughs> i think when uh, i remember playing as a fighter when i was younger so i deliberately Pick the magic user, not be, not not just to make it harder, but to because when I play um, more RPGs, I'm always the magic user because you know if you can just get a get through that hard um, first few levels, then suddenly you can just throw fire at people's faces and you know <laughs> be the boss in the game, and that's the yeah. uh, best feeling. <laughs> yeah, totally. But getting to that point in this game is really hard because you cannot practice your magic uh, abilities without money or lots of time. That's true. Yeah, and you'll also run out of mana really quickly. So it's really hard to level up all those skills. Uh, and somehow Philip managed to end with 100 on, on each skill. So that's just insane. How long did that take you, Philip? Oh, I really didn't know exactly. It was a lot of grinding. Like, hmm. let's turn up the speed to maximum, run around, run around. And... Uh, there's in the game actually two places where you can sleep without spending money. And in one of those places, there's even free food. And basically, stay there, wake up, eat food, run around, fight enemies. If you're not strong enough anymore, run away, go back to the place, rest, 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 sleep all night and go out again. And if you do that for like 10 in-game days, you basically are really over the edge of oh i'm really not very strong and afterwards the game actually throws some more nasty enemies at you but they are, they feel manageable at that point in, in the game like the yeah. first encounters if you don't have a strong fighter or a strong thief that is strong in fighting or something like that you actually can't deal with that hmm but like like I said, the beginning is quite hard. Once you yeah. have like four goblins down or something like that, you are able to take care of yourself. 
and from there on, it's it's a nice progression. I yeah, think. the entry is quite steep. Yeah, um, I think yes. I think there are more than two place, uh, places where you can actually sleep for free, um, because um, you can sleep at the at the hermit's house. Oh, then it's free. Okay, and and no, yeah, you have to you have to bring him food, don't you? Yeah, I'm not completely sure, actually. And you can sleep at the stable in the castle. Oh, then there are four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Then there's Irana's uh, piece. And the... Like the position where you meet this... How is it called? A druid? The, yeah, the dryad. Dryad, dryad. Yeah. right. That's from... Oh, you can sleep uh, there? <laughs> yeah, you can sleep there. It's, uh, oh. I, think, I think it's safe to sleep in... in uh... No, I'm <clears> not actually sure. No, but those those definitely are the same, and of course the the inn in the town. But that will but, cost you, right? Yeah, yeah, that will cost you definitely. Um, yeah, the dryad is actually that's part of um, uh, Greek mythology, I think. Um, and there are some other uh, European mythology uh, things in the game, like there's the the Baba Yaga, uh, the witch, which I think is from Eastern European mythology. And uh, well, there's also some just generic fantasy creatures like the the ogres and stuff like that. So it's a mix of all these. Yeah, and the um, flying carpet man in the. Uh, in yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, what's what's his name again? Uh, Ab- Abdullah. I Abdullah Dul. With the yeah, with the cats. That's a bit of a, a link to the eastern. Uh, the the second game focuses more on on that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's all using some like known fantasy aspects and mythology and <clears throat> and mixes them all in a in a new way so so um a question to to you all is um you know phil the philip uh, um uh gave us the the answer to the game where you just grind like crazy and become conan <laughs> but, uh, if you don't like how did you guys find the, the grinding in this game? Is it is it too much? Is it required? Is it sort of something you can do, or is it um, not really needed to win the game? I feel it's required, but as I said, if you start with the wrong class, then you're stuck because you cannot really start with the grinding. Yeah, yeah, I, I pretty much did the same as Phil. I think I slept around his piece and kept going out fighting goblins or whatever every day. Yeah, and just grind my way up. I think you have to do it, really. I think it's I think it's the only way sadly. It's uh yeah, it's you know the the start of the game is is quite interesting because you you have a few people you can speak to and you learn about the locations. But once you're over that initial introduction, it's pretty much grinding for yeah, a, a solid few hours. <laughs> and 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 just to let you know, you can finish this game in under 2 minutes if you're really good, right? What? <laughs> yes, there are speedruns of it, and uh, they basically are finished in under two minutes. And there's even a speedrun, and that guy goes through all Quest for Glory games. What? And I think even the designers are sitting there commenting all the game while doing it. <laughs> wow, it's really fun yeah. to watch. We have to link that in the show notes. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. But uh, but um, yeah, in my experience, the um, I didn't do any grinding until. I sort of ran out of things to do, but then there was, I think, one point where I could try and open a door or something with my open magic spell, and um, it said, oh, you're not 
powerful enough to do that. So it kind of gave me a sort of hint to, you know, if you want to try to get stronger, you can you can grind a bit. But it, it wasn't, you know, forcing me to do it because I'm sure eventually I would just get more powerful. But so I kind of like it as a, you know, if you don't have anything to do, there is an option of just getting stronger, like improving your skills, and then you can maybe unlock something else. Um, and I guess that that is kind of what this game was uh, particularly unique with because it combined a sort of um, point and click with with an RPG element. So the puzzles weren't just you know you have to find the right item. Sometimes the way you you required a certain level, so you need to actually yeah. improve your character before you can solve this. Yeah, totally. That's completely unique for Sierra games, at least. And it, and also it combines it with this open world approach. Yeah. So in uh, in most other adventure games, it's all very linear, where you go from puzzle to puzzle. But here, basically, the whole game is available right from the start. So you can, yeah, you can go anywhere. And if you're stuck on one point, you can just go somewhere else. And to emphasize on that, I really, really like the approach that you can be like this stupid brute that is like, oh. I want to open up the door. Oh, you could uh, use your thieving toolkit and be very delicate about it. Or you could use a spell. Or you just can hit your head against the door until the door is down. It takes a lot of strength <laughs> and you basically get a lot of hit points by by it deduced and something like that. But you can do it. It's perhaps a horrible idea to do, but you can. And I like when games actually give you choice when it's not like oh this door is closed why oh because the game says so okay but i'm playing on like an a barbarian that carries around a huge axe i should be able to hit that wall and tear down that um door no it's not possible why and this yeah. game gives you so many freedom in that term it's a bit like uh like you're playing a, a D session and the game is like the dungeon master Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's really cool that it allows you to solve things in various ways, just like in a, in a, uh, in a role-playing game, in a, like a real one. And that's something you don't see in a lot of video games, even now. And I think also the characters you encounter, like or maybe it's just because of the age of the game, but they don't really you know, tell you much. Like they, they start off with the sheriff and the random ogre, who I still don't know what, why is there or what he's doing. And then, you know, the sheriff refuses to say too much. You can then find this uh, the uh, centaur who will sell you some food. And then the most annoying centaur outside town who is there to sort of, <clears throat> you know, deliberately stop you in your tracks, but then ha- offers nothing, nothing of value at all. And yeah. this is like, why is this? What's up with yeah, what is, uh, his, uh, what is his uh, purpose? But uh, I kind of like that because, you know, not everything has to be a plot um, device. Not everything has to be there for a reason. It's just... You know, it's just the, the sheriff's random plaything. It happens to be an ogre, but whatever. Or uh, this uh, centaur who has his daughter who lives in town, but there is nothing more to investigate. There's no, you know, dark underlying um, drama you need to uncover. Um, and f- f- at first I was frustrated about this because I wanted to learn, you know, who is this old lady who's, who, you know, who sleeps all day? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But uh, I can't talk to her. But that's fine. She's just that's just her. <laughs> but you can go to her house and steal everything at night. Yeah, like ah, what Michael did. Only if you're a yeah, thief. Yeah, that's what <laughs> Michael did. He robbed her blind. Yeah, and if you mess up, you actually can encounter her cat <laughs> that can transform into a panther. Wow. 
Yeah, that's one of the oh, yeah. more bizarre aspects of the game, actually. Oh, that's pretty cool. See, I miss out on all, all this stuff because I don't steal from old ladies. <laughs> <laughs> You're missing out all the fun. Is it really so bizarre, though? Because there are many things and people who have been um, magically transformed into something else in this game. Like frogs, bears, um, mindless uh, brigand leaders, uh, things like that. Yeah, yeah. The transforming one thing into another seems to be... Uh... Uh, yeah, recurring theme throughout the game. That's true, but still, you don't. You just don't expect it. You know, you don't. You don't think that. Yeah, there are many things you don't expect in this game, and then they kill you. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> that's that's a good summary of the game. <laughs> um, shall we talk a little bit about the uh, contemporary reviews? Because. Uh, I have a little list here, and I who uh, who actually compiled this list? Who? Uh... Um, basically, I just uh, pirated it from Moby Games. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and tra and translated one German one to English. That's all I did. Well, that's that's fair enough. Maybe maybe you can talk a little bit about this. Yeah. So when you look at the contemporary reviews, they are usually in the in the good range, not in the in the great range. I mean, they are usually between eighty and ninety percent. Which was a decent rating for the time, I assume. Yeah, that's super high, actually. And yeah, I mean, we have we have uh, talked about this, this a few times in the past and earlier episodes. So it's that this is really a, a good rating. I mean, it's, it's it means they are not perfect games, but they are still pretty good uh, in the eyes of the reviewers. And um, yeah, so they are. We have one from a German magazine that's eighty percent. Um, one from the games machine from the UK, which is 86%, and advanced computer entertainment said it has 82%. And they all uh, kind of refer to the other Sierra games and tell you that this game is totally as good as the other Sierra games, but with something more. Right. Well, that's that's a fair, uh, yeah, that's a fair thing to say, I suppose. I mean. I think nowadays Sierra gets some criticism sometimes, uh, and and some some adventure game. Uh, well, you know, experts on this subject nowadays tend to think that yeah, Lucas Arts they had the good game design, and Sierra they were just messing around. I don't know, but yeah, but even the codes think that, so it must be true. Yeah, but but actually. Uh, Especially at the time, but I think even now, there's there's a lot to these Sierra games. I mean, there's there's uh, there's great writing, there's great characters, there's great stories. There's just a lot of fun. So, oh, I mean, this is the only Sierra game that I played besides uh, one of the Larry games, and I think the writing was really really good. And think about all those different settings. You have adventure, like fantasy style. You have like a police like a cop drama thing you have fairy tale land you have yeah space adventure plus comedy and you have also like a who done it mm. like a murder mystery game with the connell's bequest a game i really love you have a spy game manhunter you have all those like uh, almost film-like locations that's really cool yeah, I always enjoyed the Sierra games massively, so I'm not surprised that that the contemporary reviews they're they're quite good. Um, I think 
I think I'm a bit too young to to have actually read one of these at the time. I'm not sure if anyone here was reading these uh, magazines uh, in the early 90s, uh, I know I, reading about Sim. I know I couldn't read when these reviews were written. Yeah, me neither. I mean, that's from uh, 89 and the other two are from 90, so... Yeah, that's one year before I went to school, even. Yeah, exactly. But uh, this is the thing, though. Like, Im imagine, just take a random game, for example, um, Commander Keen, uh, which was released in 1990. This Quest for Glory or Heroes Quest was re released before that in '89. Uh, yeah, that's totally. That's crazy. Like, that's for me, you know, two completely different games, not just obviously in in their style, but also in their quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this game has so much. It feels very rich. To me, at least, it's like there's a big world and lots of interesting characters, and it looks good and it sounds good. And then, yeah, well, we'll talk about Keen more actually uh, in the next episode because it was our uh, it was our game for uh, for September, I think. Indeed. Um, but yeah, I, I I kind of feel you there that that Keen to me at least it was a bit of a letdown, just that it it's a bit bare, it's a bit like the minimum required or something yeah it's it's quite the opposite approach i think i mean yeah. keen was was made with minimal resources basically and basically built around this technical achievement of smooth scrolling on the pc mm. and that that's what this game was built around and um that, that got all the hype for the game yeah. and yeah and i think you have also to keep in mind that this was absolutely not the first game by Sierra Online and not with no. that technology. It was, it really feels refined with the tools they're already using. The parser feels quite good, I think, for what it can do. The graphics feel really good for what they could do. I have the feeling this is like they maxed out the technology they had back then. And with Commander Keen, it's a total opposite. They were basically um, there and had a new technology, and this was the first game to implement it. Yeah, it's, Sierra was, I think, like a smooth-running factory at the time. They were just pumping out these games, and and they 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 were using their engine and and improving it with each game, and and they just yeah, I think you're right that they knew what what their technology was able to deliver, and then that really enhances the. Uh, the end product yeah. so i guess they also had the money for decent writers and uh, artists and things like that that was yeah something that was totally missing in the early uh, it games yeah i'm not i'm not sure if they were really big teams but they definitely yeah they were putting talented people together uh and each had their own role like this is something that laurie also talked about that you know she really had the role of writing everything and she yeah, she didn't also have to program it and she didn't have to make any art. She just could focus on the writing. So, and yeah, this really helps, I suppose. I mean, we're talking about two completely different games, but I think from the design point, and I haven't heard the interview yet, this feels so much like it's story-driven and then the gameplay comes mm. from it, where the Commander Keen is really, oh, we have this neat technology and have really neat gameplay, and then we add a story on it on top but i love commander keen right, don't get yeah. me wrong and the story in keen is, is very thin but um i mean we're comparing them because they are from more or less the same time yeah they were released uh, one year later i think keen yeah but only not even a year because uh this game is from christmas uh 89 i think right 
So, and the, but that's basically the only thing they have in common. So, and they, they are, yes, but yes, that's the only thing they have in common, actually, <laughs> that they are from the same year, more or less. Yeah. So it's, it's not another fair comparison and yeah. But anyway, um, the, the, the people at the time is what we learn from the, from the contemporary re reviews is, uh, people re really into this game, uh, getting high scores and, and yeah, this really, uh, this is really something. So, um, I don't know if this is covered in an interview, but uh, I read a, a piece of um, a, another interview with the chorus, and they said uh, how this game came about in the first place was that um, you know Sierra already owns the entire adventure uh, game market, so the owner um, Ken Williams really wanted to break into the RPG market. Mm, totally. And so their 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 sort of pitch was to to make an RPG, but then of, of course coming from a adventure game background they kind of made this uh, hybrid which is uh, i think what what really makes it unique because it's not really like i mean obviously monkey island came out around the same time but it's not just you know uh, point and click it, it it has this rpg element to it yeah which makes it a bit more unique yeah totally. um and also this whole open world thing which is is really cool like a, a big map uh, um where, where you can access pretty much from from the get-go And I also read that uh, you know initially on on uh, in the first release with um, uh, floppy disks, it, you know for each area you kind of had to load um, part of the game. So you know if you go into the forest, you have to put in a new disk and to the mountain. Yeah. And for me, I, I didn't really think about those areas. Like I'm not going to the mountain now, but I guess if you have to put in a, a floppy disk and change, you 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 know you think about okay, where am I going? Am I going into a new area now? So I have to. I, I think that actually makes it feel bigger <laughs> yeah i think uh, uh cory did talk a, a bit about this in the uh, in the interview and i think at one point they were on eight discs or something like that wow and so yeah so they really had to be smart about what to put on each disc because otherwise and actually they they um they planned on having more characters that you can pick from mm. because right now you can you can choose the class but I mean, it's always basically the same character, and he, he looks the same, and it's, it's just the same guy with different abilities. But originally, they wanted to go for completely different characters that you can pick. But uh, if they if they had gone with this, then that means they have to put uh, all of the graphics for all of these characters on every disc. Yeah. Uh, and that would mean that there would be less space on each disc for the rest of the game. So then they would have been looking at, you know, 20 or more discs, which is completely ridiculous, mm -hmm. of course. Because, yeah, at the time, uh, people did not have hard disks, typically. So they were swapping out floppies all the time. Pretty crazy, yeah? Yeah, but e e even even like five floppies is quite, quite a lot because, you know, I, I remember playing games where I had to change the, the floppy disk and it really breaks your sort of concentration and it's i mean yeah and and it also makes you if you if you can spot where you have to do it you you know you might think twice before going back to the mountain because oh man i can't can't be asked to, to change the disk again oh <laughs> loaded again but yeah. uh, it does almost make the game just feel like it's bigger because now i'm going to the to the mountain area so like i need to load up that all that data Whereas, whereas now, just playing mm -hmm. it, now, it doesn't feel like uh, I didn't really think about there being different areas in the in the map. I just sort of, you know, ran ran across it uh, looking for loot. Yeah, 
yeah the definitely it's it's yeah that's the modern perspective also um yeah just, yeah although it it still happens i suppose in in modern open world games where you i think doesn't skyrim also have loading screens when you enter a new area or something like that yes it has so it's sort of similar, really. But it, it doesn't require you to insert disk two, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay. Um. So is there, uh, Florian? Is there anything like a, a neat uh, line or or an insight from one of these reviews? There's something that's uh, like a cool uh, detail or something that they mentioned. Um, I mean, besides the things I already said. Um, they are often complaining a bit about the sound because there is not much really. Hmm. Um, especially this this one German review said um, when rating graphics, sound, um, opening parenthesis, which is a bit sparse, sadly, closing parenthesis, handling and motivation. I would just refer you to, uh, to any other test uh, of a game by Sierra and things like that. But they were really sad about the missing sound, I guess. And when you play it, I mean, you yes, you get you, you get the few hints of music here and there like when you're cleaning the, the stables and things like that but that's really it right yeah there's i think uh i think there's just this midi sound like the the midi uh soundtrack um but it also is it's also used for the sound effects i think yeah so when you're walking in the forest you just hear these very light bleeps and that i think they're supposed to be birds i suppose but it's just really, yeah, like a, a, a thin layer of ambient noises, and that's it. That's all. That's all soundtrack. Right, but it also meant the sound was different on every computer. Yeah, totally. I mean, you you were used to the music being different on a different machine, but the sound effects. Uh, I think you were used to them being more or less the same everywhere. But yeah, you get a different sound card or a different MIDI synth, and your game sounds differently. Yeah. Actually, what I would highly recommend. If you have the opportunity to get a MT32, which is an external sound card, back from the day. And back then it was so expensive, forget it. But nowadays, if you're lucky, you can get from one from eBay or somehow emulate it and play this game with MT32 sound. On one hand, they really chose nice sounds from the sound library of this device and if you don't know what an MT32 is, just imagine like one of those Casio keyboards that can make all sorts of crazy sounds and also have some built-in sounds. And there's just one place in the game and I really highly recommend, look it up on YouTube. It's called Irana's Peace. And the video of it is on YouTube with a MT32 because if you go there, there's a really lovely music playing there even people start to co cover that song <laughs> it's so good i really really love it i enjoyed that so much yeah there's a there's a few good songs and people actually came into my stream and told me oh i remember back in the day i started the game and just loaded uh, the place of iran's piece just to be able to listen to the music oh wow that's amazing What's also, by the way, interesting is that um, there's this huge difference between the original version and the remake in terms of uh, graphics and in terms of input and the way you play it. But the soundtrack is exactly the same. 
It's exactly the same MIDI stuff that's going on in the VGA version. I don't think they changed one thing. So that's, that's uh, yeah, an entire part of the game that was not remade at all. At all. So uh, Now that you mentioned the differences between the versions, um, I read that there's also something changed in fighting. I mean, the graphics changed, obviously, and um, it changed from a parser to point and click. But what's the difference with fighting? Um... Yeah, did anyone play both versions? No. Nope. Uh, you, you did. I suppose. <laughs> but anyone apart from me? <laughs> I gave the VGA version like 10 minutes and then I was like, ah, no, I want really the retro experience. Uh, what version did you play, uh, Richard? Yeah, I was playing the original one. The EGA one. Yeah, I mean, as far as fighting goes, I never really found any tactics in that. I was basically just swinging away all the time. I don't know if any of you guys actually used any strategy. That's exactly what I do as well. Yeah, it's just stabbing continuously, and that's it, really. So I don't know if there's any tactics to it. The only thing I remember that changes a bit in the VGA version is the the, the interface. It looks a bit different because there's a, a square in the bottom right where you have the different actions and you can click them. While in the EGF version, I think you just have to press arrow keys on the keyboard. Uh, and I also remember the EGF version feeling a bit more responsive. But essentially, it's the same, though. It's it's just you stab away, and then based on your skill, that either does a lot or it does not so much at all. And yeah, that's it, really. I think the mechanics are not that great, to be honest, in that uh, game. No, but definitely. just compared to the other mini games of the Sierra type, it's not another slot machine where you have to save, run the slots, oh, I'm out of money, restore, run the slots, oh, I'm shot dead by a laser, restore, run again. And when I'm maxed out in terms of money, I save again. It's at least not that. No. Right. It's, yeah. And there are also uh, several different kinds of fighting screens in this game, right? Yes. There's the normal one where you find uh, fight like the goblins and um, all the normal monsters. And then there's the one where you fight the kobold in the cave, right? And it's completely different. And w when I saw that, I was quite surprised that they implemented a second mechanic for fighting. Oh, yes. And the swordmaster, right? Oh, and the swordmaster, right. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I ever fought the kobold, to be honest. Uh, I just saw it in a video. Did anyone fight him? I think Richard might have did. Yeah, yeah. I, did. I don't remember. I actually remember it being any different, if I'm honest. It's basically like an interactive sequence where the normal game turns into... Oh, why I would compare it to a Pokemon view. Like, you see the enemy, you see your character, and you hit, basically, attack. Yeah, I, I remember it now. This is where he shoots fireballs at you, and you have to run around, and it keeps zapping. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I vaguely remember. It's a bit different. Yeah, I seem to remember him killing too much insta-killing me every time I hit me with that. Just constant reloading the way I remember it. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't just do the normal fighting screen. with the. I think because of the al alternative ways that you can beat him. Because you can also sneak and you can also cast spells at him. And maybe that didn't work so well if they had the, the fighting screen. And also, the kobold is able to teleport around. And yeah, I think yeah. that would not translate well, well to this static screen. Because it's on one side of the screen and you attack it. And then it 
transforms to another place and you basically have, like in the normal game, when you walk around, you have to run upwards to him to hit it again. Oh, right. You can you can cast uh, spells all the time, right? You can attack every monster before you enter the fighting screen. Yeah, and he's also he's reflecting spells, I think, sometimes. If you cast something on him, then it bounces back. So... Yeah, I think I think all of this couldn't fit into the fighting screen. So th that's why they skipped it, I think. Right. Um I wonder if they discussed actually putting the normal fights into the same kind of uh, screen in the normal world. And then they realized, oh, we have several monsters queuing up that would not make much sense when you're in the in the real room basically, right? I wonder if that was something that had come up or if it was completely accidental that they have two different modes. Because you could put all the fights into the normal rooms, right? Yeah, in theory. totally. Um, when you think about it, the, the, the fighting screen that you, that you see most of the time, maybe it's not even required <clears throat> at all. Maybe, maybe all of the fights could have just been in the normal game screen. Because that's... Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I, that's yeah, what yeah, I mean, yeah. basically. I don't know. I think they just made the fighting screen because it looks cool. And then they had it. So why not use it? That's what I think. I don't know. Um, I didn't play any other role-playing games from the time, but uh, how did Ultima do fighting? I think it, I think it had a, a first-person perspective. That's what I remember from the dungeons. No. Uh, yeah, there was quite a lot of Ultima games. For the most part, you had, uh, it was tile-based, so you'd be controlling each character, some sort, sort of overhead view, sort of. Moving them around one square at a time is tactical. Oh, I see. But yeah, there was there were also first person dungeons, but most of the most of the combat was in the in this other screen. Yeah, the, the, there was indeed there was this this uh, overview view, and then there was the the dungeon view. But yeah, it it was all turn based, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was very very slow compared to this. You had parties of eight people. You had to move one square at a time. It was forever in Ultima Five. I remember that well. Yeah. Also published by Sierra, by the way, the the first Ultima game and no, second Ultima. Oh, game. the second one. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things that that was mentioned in the interview when we talked about, with the calls is that they, the whole thing started basically with Ken uh, wanting to publish another RPG. But then Ultima, the Ultima guy, he left. So he was looking for a new RPG game. And uh and that's when they well, that's when they started talking with these uh with with the calls and then then the whole Heroes Quest game came about. So there's some link with Ultima. It took them quite uh, it took them quite a while that, it's that's it's eighty two, I think, it was Ultima two, it was long, very early. Yeah. So it, it took him quite a while to find new people to do. Uh, and uh, from from what I heard, uh, Ken Williams, the owner of uh, of Sierra, the, he also had very high. Um, well, he didn't want to just let anyone make a new game. It had to be really talented people. So he had really high uh, standards. So maybe that's why it took him a long while to find a new mm. uh, a new designer. I don't know. Um. So, okay, we talked a bit about the graphics and the sound and the reviews and what did we think and how what did we play. So, 
we covered quite a bit, I think. Um, what's something we haven't covered so far? Um, I have I have something uh, which is probably one of the coolest features that I, I really want to make use of, um, which is that um, I mean, I don't know if they intended this when they finished the game, but um, you can you can import your character into Quest for Glory too, and I think this is amazing. And I think they actually said in, in a comment as well that. Um, some other games like Wizardry would do it, but they would strip the character from all all his skills. So basically, just you, you reuse the name, and they thought, ah, no, that's not good. We need to actually be able to replay that character because that's the whole point. And uh, I think that's mm. really cool. I'm, and, and I'm really looking forward to, you know, continuing my quest with my character who's already beaten Baba Yaga and uh, the lot from from that world, and you know, taking that character onto new adventures. Yeah, this. Totally one of the coolest features. That's uh... Yeah, and that's something you still don't see a lot today, right? I mean, uh, games like Mass Effect try, but then they don't want to make it uh, too weird for new players. And then in the new game, you just practice completely new skills and all you learned in the old game doesn't matter that much really anymore. So yeah, I think I think that's still... still unmatched maybe in newer games yeah from a from a game design view it's, it's really hard though because how do you get someone a character who just defeated the first game and make it you know fair to start with that character in the second game um, you need to balance that with with new players so uh, yeah you have to really think about it yeah they, they increased the starting stats i think in every game after this so if you basically started with a character that was much stronger even if you haven't played the previous game yeah Definitely, but also um, there's there's some grinding going on in every game uh, to get to a certain level. Um, but if you, for example, do a lot of grinding, like like the character Philip created for the first game, like he maxed out everything. So I suppose, almost, yeah, I suppose if you import that character into the second game, you'll have to do quite a lot less grinding then yeah. in the second game. Yeah, definitely. If I remember correctly, the stats in the first game go from 0 to 100, like 100 is the maximum, and in the second to 200, and then the third to 300, right? Yeah. Hmm. I don't remember, but yeah, that could that could be true, yeah. There is some room for growth. It's not, it's not that if you max it out in one, then you can't learn anything for the whole series. That's definitely not the case. But uh, I mean, uh, just uh, from what Florian said, it, it is really... Um, really quite something that they managed to do this in a game from 89 and mm. you know also be able to you know um foresee that they would be able to do a second game and you know that it would be something people would would do yeah um because obviously it could have cr crashed and be uh, a non not very used feature but i think it's really cool to to get that right and actually ma make it a, a if not a core feature definitely something they, they thought really about how to implement but they must have been quite confident about it because if you finish the game it says at the end see you all in quest f uh, yeah. no in heroes quest <laughs> 2 yeah which doesn't exist <laughs> <laughs> but but really if, if that hadn't worked out and uh, heroes quest would not have been a huge success then i guess it would not have mattered if you have put the advertisement for game two there because nobody would have seen it right right that's true but uh, yeah. it, it does have like this you know final ending thing where they you you do you get your reward and blah blah, blah but then it's a straight on to the, like the next next adventure so it, it would kind of um steal the thunder from from becoming a hero if if, if there wasn't a, a second game yeah 
And I guess, um, I mean, im implementing this um, exporting feature for your character was probably pretty simple to do for them. And then they had time, all the time while designing the second game to make sure they could actually integrate that into the second game, basically. Yeah. So they, they just, they could just have prepared for it and then they had time to figure out the rest. Yeah, that's what I think. I guess they didn't have a complete foresight. I mean, I think one of the th comments was, you know, if you have defeated Baba Yaga in the first game, which, uh, by the way, is, is an optional thing to do, which is quite cool again. Like, you don't actually need to defeat the villain, which is slightly, com you know, strange. But um, I think uh, it even says it in the end text. If you don't, if you don't beat the, the witch, yeah. then, uh, and, you, and you still leave the world, you still beat the game, then the text says something like, Yeah, you leave the valley behind, completely miserable, and the witch haunts everyone. Yes. So, well done. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I, I, can, I can confirm that, because I managed to go to that screen by accident, and I had to see the whole ending twice. Yeah. But um, but anyway, so there's a, I think in one of the latter games in the series, you encountered the witch again, or there is some mention of her or something. And uh, so the question was, um, on the forum that I read, was um, whether if you've killed her, Does the game know and you know change the story? But apparently they didn't export mm. any field about or any flag about whether you've you've killed the witch or not. So they didn't have complete uh, you know foresight in 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 exporting all the data they they could have done. No, But I, I mean the witch isn't dead in the game. She's just transformed into a frog. True. And however she does it, she seems to recover from that. Makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She she actually comes. It comes back in Quest of the Glory 4, actually, no matter what. Yeah. So, definitely not dead. Oh, yeah, not dead. Yeah, that's true. But it's okay. If whether you defeated her or not. Or maybe she just forgot because you're such an insignificant <laughs> character. <laughs> I think the only thing that's exported is actually uh, the stats and inventory of your character. So not, not any of the decisions that you made while playing the game. So it's, it's quite the opposite from Mass Effect in that regard. Uh, well, Mass Effect really focuses on what choices yeah. did you make during the game. Uh, in this game, you just you, you actually export your character and everything that you had, right. you still have on you, and all the stats that you gathered. That's those are the stats that you begin with. So, oh, but that's not entirely uh, true for the whole series, because no. later on in the game, uh, in the games, you have the possibility to become a force type of character the so-called paladin and he's like uh, the fighter but also like a super honest super awesome dude who does 200 and with that you i think you have to do certain decisions within the game mm, and yeah. only then you can become a paladin but somehow it they did not really properly implement that because actually if you import Your character in a later game, it asks you, so, um, by the way, have you become a paladin? We really <laughs> don't know. You can just say yes, and now you are one. Yeah. Yeah, that's another amazing thing. Um, we talked a little bit about this importing-exporting. It's not that you can just export your game from the first game and import it into the second. You can import it into any of the games in the series, I think. Really? I think you can just skip to the fourth game and just import your game from the first one. Wow. I think so, at least. And that's when the Paladin question comes up. Or does it always come up? I don't know. Hmm, me neither. Well, anyway, the importing-exporting is indeed one of the massively cool features of this game. 
So, right. Michael. Yep. Are you still with us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm hiding. The power's still on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what I want to ask you. I just, you know, uh, I don't have a question ready. I'm just interested in hearing your thoughts, but I'm not sure what the next subject should be. Gosh, that's a lot of pressure. No, it's no pressure at all, mate. Come on. <laughs> no, no, no. We're cool. No. I, I don't really know what, like, I really liked this game. I thought it was really charming. I don't know. I, I don't have a huge amount to say because I just didn't have enough time to play it. But I, I think mm. it the game has great humor. It. I kind of, I mean, maybe this is just because I listened to the interview and I think, oh, they sound like nice people. But I feel like the developers, everyone, well, not just the programmers, but everyone working on it had a great time. And that really shows in the game. Um, and everyone had a good sense of humor and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a very funny, charming game. That's, that's a lot of fun to play. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fun to it. It's just, yeah, it kind of reminds it's me, light heart. uh, you know, the game Fez, the, the creator said he, he wanted to create something like an environment where you could just go and enjoy being there. It's, it's hmm. very much like that. It's, um, I can quite happily just kind of pick up the game for 10 minutes, wander around, get killed hundreds of times <laughs> in that, that time. Um, but, you know, find silly things going on. I can, you know, the, I guess there are lots of, um, I suppose that they'd call them, uh, you know, like side games. What, what are they called? Kind of side missions and things yeah. that you can do that aren't integral to the, the plot. Yeah, but totally. The, there's so much interaction that you can have with it. And it's, do you remember when we discussed Sim City? When we said that actually the the simulation was so good that you approached it like you would approach something in in real life. You just mm. were doing things, expecting them intuitively to have some effect. And I, I think it's similar with Quest for Glory, where you 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 see a thing. It, it might just be a tree, and you're like, oh, I wonder if I can poke that, or I'll take a closer look at that. Um, that sort of thing. And I think they achieved that as well, which is a, a really, um, that's, that's a good sign in a game. It shows that they've, they've managed to achieve a, a decent level of immersion of the player. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. It feels like a, like a real, no, well, not like a real world, but it feels you can just walk anywhere and do anything and there will be something for you. Yeah. Even if it's uh, just a silly, you know, like a joke, you can't do that. But it's they, yeah. they make a joke out of it. But yeah, yeah, totally. To add to that, I really wanted to emphasize for people who want to try it, because someone came in as I streamed the game and told me there are no time limits in this game. Like you don't have a fixed amount of days, like in-game days you can mm. play, and afterwards you lost the game. No, you have as much time as you want. And this gave me so much more joy in this game. I know part two has certain events happening on certain days. And that's a cool idea to drive the story forward. But for like playing this game as an open world game, running around, like like you said, poking at trees, climbing here. Oh, what's this? What's that? It's really relaxing that you don't feel like, oh, I'm on a time limit for example, like in Leisure Suit Larry 1, or I'm on a really short time limit, like in Space Quest, when you have to flee the exploding asteroid base of your enemy. No, you have as much time as you need. The only enemies are the enemies that are running around. And that really right. gave the 
whole game a much enjoyable approach to me. And also, because, yes, I have this uh, book with all the solutions in it, but still the game offers some challenges because you have to fight, you have to grind. Basically, having the solution isn't everything in this game. And this, in a time of having the answer to every puzzle of any of all those old games readily available on the internet is very enjoyable to me because if you are stuck because of a puzzle and they are not that hard in the game and not too obscure i think you can just look them up and you won't ruin the game for you hmm. oh but but sometimes you have to be lucky and uh, look uh, in, in the right room you have to have the idea to search very thoroughly or to to look uh, use certain spells to find things and If you don't get that idea, which I think is not obvious at all, then maybe you're out of luck and you will never solve some of those uh, things. Yes, I agree. But that's something you can look up if it comes to that, I think. Right. But I, I imagine people uh, in the 90s doing this and with no internet. And I mean, maybe you, you, you had friends, but... Uh, oh, you, you had to uh, call up the Sierra helpline. That was the whole business model. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you you substitute the internet for friends, right? So you you get a tip from your friend. Oh, have you? Uh, you know, I found out you can. There's actually a hermit living in in that rock. You can get into him and stuff, and then you go and find out how to do that. Um, so I think you know you don't have the power of the internet, but you do have uh, lots of friends playing the same game. And it's the same with you know Monkey Island and all those games. Uh, I think it's quite hard to to do everything on your own, but I think it was kind of meant to be played uh, and learned from each other. At least that's how, that's my take on it. Yeah. But um, yeah, also in, in those days, I mean, this was a time when we still had lots of bookshops and high streets and, and there'd be a hint book in, in one of those stores. And I, I actually remember going into bookshops and picking up hint books and not having any money to buy them because I was too young, but like flicking through them to try and figure out how to get through a, uh, a game. Right. Um, but when you compare it to LucasArts Adventures, for example, you can basically just brute force them, right? You try every object, use it with every other object in your inventory and in the scene, and eventually you will solve the game. Mm. But with uh, Quest for Glory, that's impossible. I don't know, man. Well, I, was, I was stuck quite a while for uh, with Sam and Max, just uh, when you have to find that document in, 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 in Sam's st uh, t stomach, because that's quite weird. Anyway, but um, what I was going to say is... Uh, What I really liked about the game was just walking around uh, exploring because um, because you encounter so many fights. I was really low on, on HP and because I was a wizard, I couldn't really fight back. So <laughs> I was kind of you know, running and exploring the map, trying to map it out and uh, going down to the, um, uh, the, the brigand fortress mm. and feeling really, you know, I, am I... Am I going to die now? I was almost like feeling scared because, you know, they, they just stand and watch you. They don't actually attack you. And then I was backtracking. Like, okay, just let me get away from here. And uh, uh, it's great when a game can immerse you or give it a feeling of immersion where you're like, you know, hoping you can just back off because you're on two HP and you, you can't take a single fight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the game takes so long to to um, to heal you up um, through natural means. And I, I certainly don't have money to spend on a healing potion. So that was really good because uh, it was this feeling of exploring but still knowing that if i get into a fight i'm probably dead <laughs> yeah it's really intense in that way it's uh that's really cool so would you recommend the game uh nowadays richard uh, i think yeah i think i would actually but 
I'd probably, I'd probably recommend the original version, I would think, over the new one from the little bit of it I played. It was just, I like the text parser. I think it gives you a bit more freedom to experiment, shall we say. I think, yeah. I just remember when I played, I quickly tried the other one and it comes up with a, it seems a bit clumsy because you click on the first guy that you talk, the first guy you walk in, it comes with a ask about this, ask about that, with about all screen full of buttons. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It didn't seem like a natural, entirely natural fit, but I think the original version is actually designed for... Yeah, that's true. It, it's it's quite clear that the original version, that's how they intended the game, and that's how they designed all the puzzles. And then later, the point-and-click stuff, it was a bit bolted on, maybe. Um, then again, uh, what, what Florian talked about, about being able to brute-force your way through the puzzles... That's that's more possible with the point and click one, uh, because you can just combine items and just keep trying while having to you you, you can't type every thing. Yeah, so. well, we have got walkthroughs these days. So yeah, not really. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it it is kind get, of weird though to having to type stab all the time, like actually you know writing out your attacks uh, i think you can just press forward also uh, oh yeah that's right you yeah, can yeah. do yeah, yeah that's fine <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you can also type stab yeah yeah and uh yeah so you can you can attack with the the arrow keys yeah but you have i kept typing run hmm. which is quite fun because um um it's basically like telling the, the your character like you know go on run yeah. run away from this yeah thing. exactly yes um, it's weird that that sometimes uh you type uh, like an instruction, yeah. like like do this and do this. But then in other situations, you can just type uh, hello, for example, and then someone will start talking back to you. Like <laughs> you you just you're you're just typing what your character would have to say. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, it's switching the perspective switching. And they didn't even add uh, or allow an optional uh, verb like say and then things you wanted to say right at least that's that was no, my impression just, yeah i mean they, they could have you just type it yeah they could have made it optional because it was completely unobvious to me that you could just uh, say hello and be talking to people yeah yeah and you'll you'll go you'll start typing weird things like greet the man or or yes exactly well and then <laughs> and that then means... just that, and the message is uh, yeah just do it and yeah then, exactly uh, okay what what do you want from me <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay you just do it yeah <laughs> the other thing i found was that uh, sometimes the game has some like if you 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 see that uh, the market girl is, is selling a cupcake mm-hmm. And then so I try to buy the cupcake, and the game game is telling me you will not need the word cupcake in this game. Like, yeah, <laughs> you just you just told me there's a cupcake there. I want the cupcake. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 actually one of the things that that um, differs quite quite a lot from uh, multi-user dungeons, where mm-hmm. there's they have an unwritten rule that every noun that is on the screen must have a description and yes. That you can do at least do at least something with that noun in the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's what caught me out. I think they wanted to go with that originally, but it was just too much. Uh, yeah, too much descriptions and too much. And maybe they changed things later as well. Like if they changed the text of that centaur girl, then suddenly they had to. If they added the the cupcake into the description, then they suddenly had to add the cupcake as well. Yeah. So. But uh, in in terms yeah. of uh, what I would recommend the game, I, I think I would, and I, th- I think I probably will replay it uh, in the uh, remo- re- remastered version, in the VGA v- version. 
probably as a different class. Like I definitely want to be a thief so I can, uh, you know, explore the rest of the houses and do the knife throwing game and do all these other things that I wasn't able to do. Um, and I, in that sense, it, it is kind of a offering a, a bit of a replay value. I mean, certainly mm. as a kid, I would have played like all those classes and just tried everything. Whereas now, yeah, maybe not. But I, I, it, I do want to, tr- to retry it. And especially because I can replay it with a different, you know, look and a different uh, in- user interface. So that's, that's quite cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. This is what makes the game unique. And that's also um, because this whole remake project there was a, a thing at sierra where, where they started to uh take their old games and then re republish them with enhanced graphics uh but but the calls told us that actually this wasn't very successful at all oh, yeah. because all the the old games they didn't offer much of this replay value so it was just the same game but now looking slightly better mm-hmm. while uh, quest for glory that it you know it's really worth it to play this game uh another time and another just do it again but with a different class and it's basically a whole new game so uh, because of this the the remake of quest for glory was really successful because people wanted to play this game again and that's the end of my point (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay um coming back to the question whether we would recommend the game at first I thought I wouldn't, but then I watched some videos of other people playing it, and I think if you don't start out in the dumb way, then maybe you have a lot of fun with this game even today, and I actually I think I will retry now after watching all this stuff and uh, talking to you guys about it. So I think I would recommend it, um, yeah, at least to some degree. Oh, that's cool. I mean... Because you started out not really liking this game, did you? No, I, I was frustrated. I was really frustrated with the game. Yeah. But now, when, when I see what's really possible in the game, when you are not stuck waiting for the next night so that you can sleep and recover your uh, mana, uh, yeah, then it's a whole different game, and I want to try that out now, too. That's cool. That's. I mean, that means we've achieved something with the club, right? Right. So, that's cool. Um... Yeah, anyone else want to add something to the uh, yeah reflection, conclusion? Sure, I would like to add, yes, I would also recommend it. But if only if you're into old-style RPG games and if you are capable of dealing with some frustration. Because I said, at the beginning, you die really easily. And if you are not willing to come over that point you're gonna have a bad time to be honest Mm. but otherwise i've seen people on my stream that went there because i'm friends with them and they were like oh wait a second i'm not into sierra adventures but this looks interesting why you wait a second you have stats this is an rpg oh this is interesting so it does appeal to basically both sides rpg and adventure players and also you can just have those tiny neat moments for example you mentioned the knife throwing it's a little mini game but if you start to well scum save so basically you save try your throw and restore and restore restore until you're perfect you can win pretty easily but if you do this too often the computer will start to cheat itself and then basically the leader of the thieves guild will play a perfect game 
So yeah. don't I, push your luck too far. This is what I've super noticed, funny. but I'm not sure if I if I just made this up or that it's actually in there. But you can uh, before each knife game, you can uh, bet an amount of money, right? Right, and it depends on how much you bet. Exactly. So so if you start out uh, a bit. Um, well, you just you you don't know how good you are at at the start. You, right. so you just bet a very low amount, and then actually you do quite well. But as you as you bet more money, then it becomes harder. So if you win a few games, and you think, "Oh yeah, I'm just going to bet all my money now." Then you then you'll lose it because then suddenly you won't be able to win anymore. Yes, and it feels that, like that, a pool shark that is like, yeah. oh, I'm not a good player. Do you want to play against me? Yeah, yeah here, 100 bucks. Bam! And he's yeah. got you. <laughs> yeah, it's the normal method. <laughs> I mean, here, here are three shells. Where's the Right, ball? right. <laughs> or the, the other funny yeah. thing is that you actually can... Have you picked your nose in the game? I just want to ask everyone. No, because I had no lockpicking skills. <laughs> I think Michael did. I did. I did. I think Michael did it a lot, actually. <laughs> if you have a lockpick... In the game, you can actually pick your own nose. If you're yeah. too bad, you basically kill yourself because you <laughs> lobotomize yourself. But if you do it, it makes a neat little click and your nose is really free to you, for you to breathe and you gain a little bit of lockpicking skills. Uh, what? So if you're really bad, you shouldn't do it. But if you're in the medium range of lockpicking, actually picking your nose a lot really helps you <laughs> to get better. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I read the threshold somewhere around a uh, lockpicking skill of 30 or 35 or something like that. And then you can max out your lockpicking by just picking your nose all day. <laughs> That's yes. insane. Wow. <laughs> That's one, one more reason why why the uh, thief is probably the easiest class right <laughs> i would totally recommend everyone to play as a thief because it's just loads of fun to rob the old lady <laughs> and Boo. it's just what's not to like uh do you think you'll play more michael yeah i think so um i'm a little bit pressed for time at the moment with all the nightmare 3d but um <laughs> yeah that's what we're playing right now aren't yeah. we um but no i'd like to come back to it i after the discussion i'm thinking i might go back and start with a new character make sure that i've got uh a little bit of skill in in everything hmm. um yeah but no i i'd like to i'd like to finish it yeah um, but i just i kind of i like just dipping into it now and then that's cool yeah you you said uh we're busy playing nightmare 3d yeah uh because it's it's october right now so it's a bit of a yeah it's a spooky <laughs> month of course so <laughs> <laughs> so we uh i think i think you picked it even didn't didn't you yeah i did yeah um actually nightmare 3d is probably the most memorable game of my childhood right oddly enough yeah that's perfect yeah yeah no i'm having a great so, time <laughs> uh, yeah it's really cool so uh so if yeah everyone who who hasn't already checked it out please you have uh well a few days remaining in october so uh so it's yeah, it's fun to check this out, and uh, it's really cool that you're sharing uh, your your nostalgia with us because that's really <laughs> what the club is all about. No, really, I mean, I had never heard of this game before you mentioned it, so it's really uh, it's really cool that you brought this to uh, to our attention. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on right now. Um, what is what is going on? We're running a bit behind. Is actually what's going on, isn't it? Yeah, I guess we had some troubles with people being on vacation and then other things happened and more things happened. And 
uh, that's that's why this episode is basically two months late but uh, we're going to catch up now so we are recording this episode now and next week we will record the episode about commander keen yay and i think uh, that's what we I played it, in september i think right right that's yeah. what we played in september and i think the week after that we can already start or actually record the episode about Nightmare 3D, and then we are back on schedule, I guess. Ah, right. So there's a lot of episodes to come in these uh, in the coming weeks. So that's something to look forward to. Um, so once October is over and Nightmare 3D has been, uh, well, how do you say this? Uh, put aside. <laughs> um, what's what's next? What's coming in November? Well, the next game uh, is going to be Grand Theft Auto. What? Which is which is one of the games that I have big amounts of, uh, huge amounts of, of nostalgia for. And I think this will be a great month. Grand Theft Auto is a DOS game? Oh, yes. Of course it is. Whoa! I think a lot <laughs> of people will not realize this. <laughs> no, because it runs on both. They have, a, I think, the um, original disc shipped with a DOS and the Windows version. And actually, if you want the full experience, I guess, I don't know if it's a full experience, but if you want to run it with a 3DFX Voodoo card, then you can only do that in DOS. Hmm. So the DOS version is even the, the superior one. I don't know. I, I haven't seen it yet. I have a Voodoo card and I have GTA, but I have not tried it yet. Or actually, mm. to be honest, I, have not gotten, I haven't gotten it working yet. So. Oh, but uh, this, is, this is really exciting, though. This is something to look forward to. Yeah, I played it in software rendering as a child or a teenager, basically. And now I'm going to see the difference. And I hope it will be great. Otherwise, I'll switch back to software. So it, does it, <laughs> yeah. is it, it supports the first Voodoo card, or is it a Voodoo 2 card? Um, actually, people say that it supports the Voodoo 2 card, but I haven't gotten it working yet. Um, so I, I actually bought a Voodoo 1 card just to be able to play the game. That's awesome. I actually had a Voodoo 1, 2, and 3 card. I really loved those 3DFX games. And as far as I can remember... Uh, all three of them work. Hmm. Maybe uh, my, my Voodoo 2 cards are in some somewhat difficult combination because I have two of them which are of different uh, manufacturers and I need special drivers and oh. uh, I'll retry with my new Voodoo 1 card. Well, new. <laughs> yeah, but e either way, we're playing Grand Theft Auto in uh, November, so that's exciting. Um... And then, well, we can, we can quickly mention this uh, because we have... We have planned it all uh, out all the way up to December now. Uh, we did a, a Twitter poll, in fact. Uh, I think that was your idea, Florian. And um, was it? I think so, but it was a really good idea because up until now we just we just picked the games that were suggested to us. But yeah, having having people uh, vote on it, I think that's a really neat idea to involve the members. So uh, so we ran this Twitter poll. Uh, and people could choose between um, Master of Magic, I think, was one of the options. Yes. And Dungeon Keeper and The Incredible Machine. I think those yep. three games were the options, right? Yes. And, and we got 45 votes, um, which is, I think it's impressive for the size of our podcast uh, audience or our assumed podcast audience size. And, and this was within 24 hours. Yes. So it was really short. Hours. Yeah. And um, let's let's go through the results of this poll. Um, Dungeon Keeper got twenty six percent. Master of Magic, uh, even though it got all the advertisement from you and a guy called Voxel, thirty six percent. And if you're good at math, then you already know that the Incredible Machine got thirty eight percent. And we're going to play this awesome game. Yay! Yeah. So that's what we're playing in December. 
I love um, it. The rumor is that uh, the Russian government was involved with this, uh, <laughs> this poll. <laughs> I hear people are demanding we do a repoll. Uh, no, no, no. No, I, I, I love it. I mean, Incredible Machine, I think it's really cool. It's also by Sierra, isn't it? Dynamics. So, mm-hmm. No, Micropromes? Uh, so no. I don't know. No. Well, anyway, we'll find out. It's December. It's a long way uh, from now. So, yeah, that's... Uh, that's what you've all got uh, to look forward to. Um, but but Mar- yeah. but Martin, wasn't there also another podcast? Another podcast? Some interview or something regarding uh, this Quest for Glory game. You mean the uh, the interview we did with the, the Coles, the creators of Quest for Glory. Is that what you mean? Yes. You should plug that too while we're talking about podcasts. Well, I think we mentioned it about 12 times already. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> I, was just looking. I didn't hear it. Well, that's the cool thing. Because uh, uh, as, as we mentioned, we were running behind a bit. So in the meantime, uh, we arranged this interview with... Uh, Corey and Lorianne Cole, uh, who are the people who, well, who created Heroes Quest and the Quest for Glory series over at Sierra. So uh, it was really, really lovely to talk to them. And uh, yeah, they just spoke about how the game uh, came about and and what was involved in making it and, and how life is like making games and what they're up to now. They're uh, currently working on a game called Hero U, which is like a spiritual successor i suppose to to quest for glory um is that sort of uh soon uh, being released or yeah or is it well actually I, I think they did a kickstarter back in 2012 yes um and then they had the idea that they would take about a year to make the game <laughs> uh, <laughs> so and it's now 2016 and uh, 17 and it's uh almost complete i think Okay. So yeah, I think it will be released well soonish. So uh, yeah, that's something to look out for. It's also a, a point-and-click adventure. Yes. Uh, with some RPG uh, elements to it. So yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I, I didn't actually know that they did a Kickstarter, so that I, I recently found out. So yeah, it, it sounds like it's the spiritual successor to the Quest for Glory series. Yeah, totally. So that should be should be good. And uh, yeah, you also write uh, with the Incredible Machine was indeed published by Sierra. Yeah, see? So we're featuring a lot of Sierra all of a sudden. But well, we'll we'll cover other publishers as well, I'm sure. Um, yeah, we could always uh, switch to Master of Magic if if, the, if that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe for January, but we'll see. So um, anyway, for now, uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. And also thank you for being here, all of you. Um it's really uh, it's the the most crowded uh, podcast yet, the crowdest episode. But I think it was lovely that well, all of you turned up and and wanted to discuss my uh, my old childhood favorite game because that's really what Quest for Glory is. Just let me add, if the listener, yes, you, you are listening to this podcast, you are the listener. Please, if you want to give this game a go, you can easily buy parts 1 to 5 for around 10 bucks on digital platforms like Steam. And it can easily be run in DOSBox. Or I would even recommend to use ScumVM to run the game because it has some comfortable features like autosave, more than 10 save slots and so on and so forth. Yeah. So no excuse not to play the game. Well, actually, to to top it off, the the um, 
The real reason not to have any excuse whatsoever is that it's also available for free what? on the uh, DOS archive. The, um, these people over at archive.org, they have a, a DOS games archive set up with uh, hundreds of games. And I think Quest for Glory is among them. So you could just play it in your browser for free over there. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's really, really awesome. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, Michael and Richard and Philip and uh, Otvar and Florian, thank you very much for being here. And, uh, and, and thank you for listening. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> yep. Then bye, everyone. Bye. bye. Cheers. Just, 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 just.